0: You're listening to the Leadership Foundation podcast. I'm Rick Enlow, and I'm here with Dave Hillis, and we already talked about the idea that we were going to get into conversation with Bill Milliken, and here we go.
1: Well, Bill, thank you uh, for taking the time to be with us on the Sidious Playground Leadership Foundation podcast. Uh, you know, I have had the privilege with Rick Enlow to co-host this program over the last couple years, and the purpose of it is to look at um, the city as playground as the as the charism of the leadership foundations and it's really what I think coalesces the 79 leadership foundations from around the world and of course you know what we all rally to uh, is the idea that that God sees cities as as playgrounds rather than battlegrounds and so the the purpose of the podcast has really been to sit with mothers and fathers um, of this uh, movement and talk to them about uh, what that looks like. Uh, In particular, Bill, we uh, will be talking today a little bit about uh, some of the um, things that make up the Leadership Foundation on the ground, um, and particularly the three functions, where Leadership Foundations, of course, uh, whether you are in Dallas um, or Delhi, whether you're in Minneapolis or Maputo, are all committed Uh, to these three functions, which is engaging leaders of good faith and goodwill, developing the capacity of others, creating joint initiatives that in the end produce a leader and leadership that sees the city in a different way and can really begin to make effective changes. And One of the things that I've mentioned to many people, Bill, is that um, that architecture uh, within leadership foundations Um, is principally a result um, of none other than you. Um, Through the years, because of your relationship um, with Reed, uh, your deep commitment um, to uh, the leadership foundations as something that can be helpful in cities, um, and obviously because of uh, what all that you've done with communities and schools all over these years and the partnership that has existed at times between communities and schools and leadership foundations, um, we, we in the Leadership foundations really consider you to be one of the people whose shoulders we stand on, Bill. So, um, again, thank you on behalf of, of our audience and, and those who will listen, uh, probably for no other reason than to hear, none other than Bill Milliken. It, it really is our great, great privilege. So, with that, Bill, what what I'd like to do is just to orient our listeners is, is to have you take just a few minutes to... Describe a bit of your story, which of course um, has been chronicled uh, in some books that you have written But I I think it would be just great for people to hear a bit of um, You know this young man Bill Milliken in Pittsburgh and how he ended up now sitting in Washington DC um, And all that you've done in between
2: well, thank you, and Dave. I, I, I really thank God for the, the gift of you and the gift of being part of this movement and mission together. It, uh, it feeds me and gives me life and, and community, so mm. it, it's, it's to, to walk together and, and be together. And uh, as you job. know, this has been a, a divine synchronicity in, in the walk. Somebody told me actually last night at a gathering that... Uh, they ought to do a, another movie on Forrest Gump, and I could be Forrest Gump Returns.
3: <laughs>
2: uh, but it just—if—if uh, if God wasn't in it and isn't in it, then it's—it's it's too hard to believe.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, but I do believe that uh, I've been blessed uh, in this journey uh, to this point, and plan to still be blessed.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: I. uh, Somebody asked me how uh, I got involved uh, in the first place uh, in, in ed- education in that same meeting last night, and I said, today I got kicked out of high school. And they said, that's an unusual way to get into education. <laughs> uh, I'd been released uh, from school. They didn't uh, call it learning issues back then, but they just said uh, he uh, can't handle the work, which labeled me an, is kind of done, so I couldn't hang out with the crowd that I normally, if I would have been a student, uh, hmm. could have, but I ended up um, with um, this, a group called the Green Street Animals <laughs> uh, that um. Reed Carpenter had the take taking over and working with <laughs> after I left Pittsburgh.
3: Oh, wow. But,
2: uh, the young the life leader that came into our community uh, actually came to a pool hall where I was hanging up and, uh, and over a period lumped us into change. I, I didn't know all, that, all uh, uh, that he was there for, but I just knew that this was somebody that, uh, even though I didn't trust, uh, there was something there that I was hungry for. Hmm. Anyhow, a few of my friends... Um, and most of my friends didn't make it uh, from that group, uh, ended up either dead or in prison by 30. Wow. Was the power of that relationship uh, and finding out that what motivated uh, the Young Life Leader uh, was an unconditional love that I found that, even though I found out that he was there because of his commitment to Christ and god which i didn't believe in at the time Mm. i believed there could be Mm
3: -hmm.
2: whatever about him he believed in me and there's nothing more powerful uh, than somebody spending the time and then actually believing there's something worthwhile about you when you don't feel there is anything
1: absolutely
2: so yeah i just that's where i ended up going out to young life uh ranch and heard about jesus and um and if you're for real, I need it, or I'm, not, I'm done for, because I haven't found any reason to live up to that point.
3: Mm.
2: And through that, I uh, met some other young-like folks, and a guy named Harv and, and Vinny and, uh, and Vinnie had been part of a gang in New Jersey, and he had met Christ, and uh, Harv got us together, and the two of us moved into Harlem. When I was 20, and we began the first urban with Harv and a couple others, and hmm. uh, Vinny and I we moved into a, a small tenement there.
1: And what what year and again was that, Bill? 1960. Okay. Um, wow. I was I was seven
2: years old. No, I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, who uh, could have But who would have who would have known that I'd get to spend uh, from 60 to 71 in those communities when so much of history from uh, the riots to Malcolm to Dr. King to Kennedy to all the tragedies and the war and all that and here Mm. we were out just hanging out Mm. trying to do for others what had been done for us and that was being introduced to our creator who cared about us Mm. and so we started a Young Life Club in the Church of the Master in Harlem, which the church in the Crossroads Africa had moved out, had um, came out of, uh, out of that church, and then a number of the folks from there made it out to the suburbs, and they needed to have a, a ministry on the street. So Young Life became that. And so just to whip through it, uh, we, bidding and Parv, said one day, how can we say we love kids and let them live on rooftops? So uh, Trinity Parish in New York, a big Episcopal church, gave us two tenement apartments, one for young ladies, one for young men, and for five and a half years Mm. uh, had kids live with us because it was pretty hard to tell them God loves you, we love you, and that I'm sorry you have to live on the rooftop tonight or put a needle in your arm tonight until you pass out. Uh, so what I was learning through Young Life in the beginning Is that it's relationships that change people And that was to be the and the, It was an incarnational Jesus that was with us And that if we say we really love God And love our neighbor How can we not take them in mm-hmm. I later wrote a book about this experience uh, For Young Life called Tough Love Because uh, right. I learned a lot in those departments, but along with caring, you have to have accountability. But then I backed into we did into education. It's always been a we.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. Was, when people started making it, how can you say you care about kids and they don't have an education? They as one person said, I I came back from camp and I became half a man at camp. And, my partner, Neil, said to him, uh, what do you mean half the person in God, your whole person? He said, yeah, but I can't read. And in America, you can't make it if you can't read.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: So we got into education. But uh, I was with my three freshman years of college, uh, I wasn't exactly accepted as an educator. <laughs> so Vinnie had an eighth grade education, and our finished college, you know, dropped out. So we started in a little storefront. Uh, our own school using smart kids from Columbia's and New York universities. And we were learning another lesson. We said, you teach them. Uh, We'll turn them on to living. You turn them on to learning. And that was to be another key learning. In this little storefront school we called a street academy, began to spread. We ended up with 18 of them in Harlem and Lower East Side and Bedford-Stuyvesant. And too long a story, uh, every time there was a riot, <laughs> we were invited. <laughs> so we started in Detroit and Newark and Atlanta, uh-huh. places like that. So that uh-huh. God just led us into the uh, world of education, and then later in the early 70s, in and a, and a testimony uh, here in Washington, because they needed a white guy or something to testify who had been in the middle of the, the riots. Um, so somehow, uh, I got a chance uh, to testify, which is only God's sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was then that I said we were going to win or lose the future of America at the schoolhouse door. And God was speaking through that day that we were being prophetic,
3: mm.
2: that we couldn't afford to have a million young people a year dropping out the size of Philadelphia. I testified every year. How can we say we love kids? How can we say we're a moral nation and how can we make it economically? So that led us into where I am into going inside the schools to keep kids from dropping out in the first place.
3: Yeah.
2: Sorry, that a few minutes, but that's kind of the arc.
1: No, Bill, that's, uh, that's absolutely great. Um, take a minute just to describe for our listeners um, communities and schools um, and exactly what it's doing. I, I said a little bit about it on the Whispercast, but it would be great if you could say a bit more about it.
2: Yeah, well, what we, what we had learned through this whole process and why I said we were going to win or lose the future of American schoolhouse nor what we saw, and we don't have time on this uh, cast to talk about it, but I had traced it back to, to just after World War II into the 60s, not out of any bad intent, but with all the changes that were going on, we slowly pulled apart the safety net for children which had been the extended family in relationship with the faith community were the mediating structures. Uh, and I said, we lost that uh, that community. In fact, later, you know, Hillary wrote, it takes a village to raise a child out of that African proverb. I said to her, but we lost the village. Mm. And I feel uh, what happened uh, with all this change is that schools fell into the vacuum that was created by this breakdown of community. And what we did is, we became very fragmented and began to build silos both in the faith community and in the public square. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with the heart in one part of town, the, the head in another, the feet in another, whatever. And I said, we need to come to the schools and keep kids from dropping out in the first place after they've already dropped out. We can't sustain and grow and turn off all these kids dropping out of school unless we go in and take what we learned outside the system, both through our Young Life Clubs of small groups, what we learned in our street academies about how important it is to have small, caring community. I said, what we need to do is take all these resources that are scattered all over town and bring them to the school and build a sense of community around the school. And we needed to put a person inside the school um at the time, I was getting help from uh, an artist, uh, Quincy Jones. Well, actually, he's from your town. And he said, I really, I understand what you're talking about. You're telling me the violins are in one part of town, the, the drums are in another, the piccolos are in another, and they're all playing their own music, and there's no conductor to pull them together. Mm, and I said, a Great, you image. got it. Yeah. So we. We put the conductor inside the school to free the teachers up to teach because teachers, we found, were being asked to be another father, sister, brother, social worker, hall guard, everything but teachers. So we said, why don't we bring all these, from the, whether it's people from the young life to the health people to police, the probation, whatever, that we didn't have a youth problem. We had an adult problem. We needed to bring all our adults together and create not only that caring adult, but that caring community. So take that back to the young life model. You know, you're out there meeting kids where they are, and you take them to a club where they feel safe environment. Um, so we were just taking what we learned in our journey and, and applying it to put it inside uh, yeah. the system. So it's a very simple idea. Actually, I actually had a senator not long ago tell me he'd get me a lot more money if I could make it more difficult. <laughs> Oh, you I mean these kids just want <laughs> what my kids love. We need when they need a dentist, there needs to be a dentist. There you right, go. right, right. And, is, that, is that clear? Or yeah, or?
1: no, that's 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 great, Bill. You know, um, one of the things embedded in that, and you've already said it a couple times, and of course, from a leadership foundation side, when we came up with these three functions that we think are absolutely the essential building blocks to do good work in a city. Um, the implicit um, argument in it um, is that it 's all about relationships that ultimately a city, an individual a neighborhood is going to be healed relationally um, rather than through programs um, y- you know bill i I really consider you to be um, you know one of the authors uh, of that kind of framework, that kind of thinking that has influenced you know, not only communities and schools, but leadership foundations and, and just so many other groups. Now I, I think of how um, even when I started 30 years ago, if you used a word like relationship, people still weren't quite sure what to do with it. And now today, while not perfectly, uh, there's a whole lot more institutions and organizations and that understand the power uh, of relationship. So with that as as some background, Bill, could you say a bit more about what was it or or how did you come to this kind of epiphany of sorts about the power of relationships um, over and against program given how many people, how many organizations usually go the program route rather than the relational route? Well, I
2: just think they had it in reverse. It's just like, I, I, I. said in that testimony, if a kid's not turned on to living, he's not going to get turned on to learning. And how does he get turned on to living? It's when somebody is willing to walk through the valley of the shadow of adolescence with him and love him into Mm. change. And I said that right anywhere I go. I said, if you don't want me to talk about love, then don't invite me. I don't care if it's Congress. I don't care if it's the streets of Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the game changer. It's the only transformational thing we have. Now we have to put it to work. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it, it's, it's a verb. We got to do it. Uh, but that is the key to turning. So the issue is these kids, as I was testifying, have been disconnected uh, from mm-hmm. relationships with the breakdown of the community. So I, I remember in a meeting with when we first got. Uh, AT&T involved in our, our our movement. I was at a little breakfast, and I said, "Well, how do we relate as uh, as AT&T?" Uh, I said, "We're in the same business." That's said, "What do you mean?" I said, "We're bu- we're both trying to connect the disconnected." I said, "We're trying to connect kids to hope, to a future, to jobs, to food, to clothing, but those things are scattered all over town. So we need to think differently rather than try harder." Mm. And that's when I first said it's the program that uh, it doesn't. And I've been asked this question more than any other question. Uh, what programs, after all these years, have you changed? See, change people? And I said I still haven't seen one, and you've mm. heard me say that. Yeah. It's the relationship that turns into a person. And a good program simply has created the environment where healthy relationships are happening between adults and children. It's not brain surgery. It's the same thing that makes a family work. It's the same thing that makes a neighborhood work. It all starts uh, with re- relationship, and for years they called that the soft part.
3: Mm-hmm. Now
2: people heard social emotional learning and all that. It all comes back uh, to relationship.
1: Yeah, what now, go ahead, Bill. How
2: do you connect mm-hmm. relationship? That's mm-hmm. the uh,
1: go ahead. Well, I was, I was yeah, actually you you uh, anticipated where I was headed. Um, one of the uh, concepts that I've heard you. Uh, talk to me about directly and to a number of us um, is this idea of a relational router. Um, and so I, I would love it if if you would take a moment to describe that meeting you were in. I think it was with uh, Hewlett and Packard or Cisco Systems, I forget which one, where you described what you were doing and, and then describe a bit about what you think um, and how leadership foundations maybe operate as this relational router uh, in cities around the world?
2: Well, it's uh, part of our, what, when we started Communities in Schools, we knew we'd never be in every school, and that but we had a moral and a spiritual vision that we needed to get these relationships to all kids, give all kids a chance of hope in the future. So how do you do that? What's your theory of changes, bridgeband Bridge Band would say. Mm-hmm. Our idea was, uh, how do we get big enough, get enough schools, and how do we get enough kids where, in the data behind it, that could affect policy to help all kids out there? That was our long-term vision. Mm. Well, the thing is, we grew it where every community, I believe that decentralization was better than centralization, and both have their issues, but we felt that communities and schools of Atlanta or P- communities and schools of Austin or communities and schools of Chicago, whatever. They needed to own it. But if you do that system, how do you collect the data to affect policy that's going to affect the masses? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big picture. So what I found is we had to find a way to collect the data, and this was back in the 90s. So remember, this is before the bust in the tech industry and I zeroed in, and I, I, I know about as much technology as how to upload, download, and reload. So I had, to, <laughs> I had very little knowledge, but I knew that this was an important thing that was coming down, and I needed them to help me collect the data, mm. to get the actual data. So I spent a year going out uh, to Cisco Systems I'd, every few weeks and worked my way up the ladder till, because I needed them to give me the resources So that we could take this next phase of our vision, and it was a whole lot of money.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Anyhow, I'll give the short version. I end up in there, and they they said the answer to two questions got me the resources I needed. Uh, The first was, and it's the second one addresses this, but both kind of were linked together. They said, "Well, we give to a lot of charities. Why should we give to you?" And I said, so do my wife and I, it comes out of our faith journey, but also Americans are the greatest giving people in history. But this isn't about charity, it's about change, it's about your future workforce, it's about bridging the digital divide. We we got into it, and then the second question, so I was telling them that this is, we aren't going to make it if these kids don't make it. Mm -hmm. And so the second though, they said, what makes you different? And I was led to draw an X on a piece of paper. And they said, what's that? I said, that's our router. And so I, I mentioned that it was the 90s because that was kind of a new thing, the router.
3: Yeah.
2: And they said, we have the router. And I said, yeah, you're going to change how we collect, organize, and disseminate information. I understand it will be both domestic and global, and it's going to bring us all together. They said, yeah, what about your router? I said, ours is a relational router. I said, I can call Houston, Texas which was the first successful replication of our program that we had started in Atlanta. And I said I was able to get the principal of the school to allow me to take their counselor and train them in triage uh, to where they could work back-to-back back with the principal who was running the school, and this person would be the, the face it back to the community some kids come in they need mentoring other kids come in they need intensive care they're gang banging or they're on drugs Mm -hmm. or what have you Mm -hmm. but we needed somebody that was freeing the teachers up to be teachers by bringing whatever resources were needed to there at the school and I said that's our router and I said actually uh, she did that for a number of years and then she became the super router in Houston Mm -hmm. He, uh, she, she was uh, where he, he, the mayor, the superintendent, the, the faith people, the parents, and all, that was her team. And so she had a little Robert E school, so she was creating a whole new delivery system to get mm-hmm. people to in what they were doing around the schools. And by the way, parenthetically, because of that, it spread around Texas
3: mm.
2: and we con- which we're, you know acknowledging this year. Uh, 11,000 kids from Orlando ended up in communities and schools, schools because the mayor and superintendent says that's a place where they have family, community, and a safe place.
3: That's great. So that was a mm-hmm.
2: sign that, our, as I gave a speech, our levies held mm-hmm.
3: because
2: of the, the relational model. So I said, you have a high-tech router, we have a high-touch router. So for the CIS thing— I think that's the biggest contribution is we got people to think different. How do you pull the pieces together? You have a router. What excites me and what I think leadership foundations, and I think we'll see more and more of this out of our bridge band uh, outline and where we're going, I think that leadership foundations are key to be that relational router outside the schools in particular Mm -hmm. And, and be more partnership where we're in the schools and, but these kids go home to communities, <laughs> as
3: mm-hmm. you well know, mm-hmm.
2: that are, and all that. And if you have, the faith community being organized around the least, the last, the lost, and the left out out in the community, you're organizing the laity to be that coordinated system, along with the agencies, to create, the housing, economic development, and yeah. prison, reform, et cetera. Does yeah. that make sense?
1: Yeah, it it completely does. And I just think it's it's the power of that image i think for our our listeners who i think all intuitively even if like you they technologically don't get it all but the idea of a router um and and its um ability to pull information into a common place to make it usable in that same sense uh, of having a relational router and i think my sense is and and you're so commonsensical this way that if people took a moment to look at even their own life and how they have come to whatever position they have, I think they would instantly realize that it is this web of relationships that has produced them and uh, and so everybody in some ways benefits exactly um, in the way that you just described well the, the next question for me at least bill in this and I know uh, Rick is is thinking about some questions as well, but um so here you have this idea of a relational router which I think presumably means that you've got a mechanism that um connects um disparate you know institutions people I mean probably even you know at times uh, people who don't want to see the sight of one another I'm, I'm thinking bill about just many of the cities around the world and how many of them have been Balkanized to such a degree that you know the politics don't talk with the religious. The religious don't talk with you know the business, and so they have all of this infighting. So, you know, the ability to get in, and begin to connect those pieces that don't necessarily even want to be connected, seems to me to be um, a, a particular skill. So I, I would love to have you say a bit about um, how, in real time, do you go about. Connecting some of these, you know, people and institutions that maybe for many many years uh, in cities have been separated as a result of you know a whole host of issues.
2: Well, what comes to my head is is on two fronts. I mean, one is I, because I failed in school, um, I had an aversion to them, and then God leads us into these (laughs) doing these storefront schools, and then. Uh, I was asked to go into the belly of the beast that I had failed in (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, dropping out of where I learned was I needed to be a person that was open to learning why people feel the way they feel. And when I spent my first year riding school buses, eating with teachers, meeting with the uh, superintendent, hanging out with the custodian, talk to parents, I began to look at it from where they're looking at the world. And I became less judgmental when I understand understood why they felt threatened, what they saw, what they were seeing outside the schools in this illustration was all these do-gooders that wanted to come in and change them. So if you go in with the attitude, I'm going to change you, I don't care if it's me as an individual or me as a community, I'm going to say,
3: hey,
2: you aren't going anywhere. And, that, uh, and so it has to be an ability to go and listen to where a person's coming from because everybody has their own story of why they feel the way they feel. And we don't take enough time on the front end of trying to see something happen in a community. We don't take the relational time with the adults to listen whether they're a person in power or whether they're a person in the bureaucracy or whether they're a person at the grassroots. What is it in common that we all have here and that's why we were blessed when you're when you're centering on loving kids, that becomes. And Jesus gave us that hint a long time ago. It just took a while to learn it. That except for the little children, keep your eyes on them, and that has been the greatest unifier to get people who may be in their own silos and 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 and, and, and threaten. If you can get them out of the silos and sitting down and trusting one another, then. You have a chance to bring them together in a way you know it doesn't always work but that's i don't know if that answers the question or not
0: well well thanks for thanks for that bill this is rick Enlo. i had a question uh i just uh i kind of blame you for this uh point of view but i don't know if i'm connecting it or you know if i'm accurate here but i've been working with some um, actually some uh, vice police officers that have been in, involved in uh, prostitution work for years and they're they're they've changed their mind in the last say five years where they were just arresting criminals which are these young ladies and now they begin to see them as trafficked um, young people you know that they're not the ones who you know uh, we have to eliminate but th- but they have been you know taken advantage of it almost seems like that's what you saw a long time ago is that accurate
2: yeah we we so often blame the victim
0: <laughs> and so
2: we're looking at at the at the fruits of of the evil that's going on instead of at the roots of it that's producing it yeah and it's so yeah i think you're right on target
0: okay because i mean i just appreciate communities and schools at least in our area we i mean our our uh, our schools would be I mean, uh, in desperate shape without, uh, the incredible work that's being done there. So I, I want to thank you on behalf well, of at least the Northwest well, thank folks. You. Yeah.
2: Thank you.
1: Bill, Um, you know, again, thinking, um, that, that many of our listeners, as they listen to, uh, I, I, I can deeply imagine that they're, um, hearts uh, are being warmed their their imaginations are being set on fire because part of what you're able to do is to elegantly describe um, what is within all of our reach which is that it's it's all about relationship and that relationship then becomes the the vehicle by which program uh, can actually begin to uh, to impact people moving forward so I'm thinking about people right now from, you know, um, Africa to Central America to, um, you know, places in Texas that that have all listened, um, but probably um, also have very different contexts than you, um, uh, at least by way of their experience. Uh, Theirs wasn't uh, Pittsburgh, Harlem, Atlanta, Washington, D.C. Maybe theirs is in the, you know, Hill country of Texas, or um, you know, sub-Saharan um, Africa. So, with that, and knowing that a lot of what you talked about, uh, I think, does have a kind of uh, transcendent reality. If you had to give people, um, you know, four or five of Bill Milliken's top, you know, things to remember as you try to bring about. Um, effective change in this world. What what might some of those be? I'm almost thinking of a, of a David Letterman top ten um, sort of list here.
2: Well, we'll make it less than that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't have <laughs> I don't have that good a memory. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know where to uh, exactly jump in, but uh, I'll jump in with what happened to me at lunch yesterday, and it's. Again too long a story to uh, but I got connected to this gentleman who's done work all over the world on security issues and and he was asking if we could have lunch because he had to run a, a thing for the uh, as a uh, outside business person um, with the state Department in a couple weeks where people were coming from around the world, but they were keen on uh, uh, half a dozen or so really really tough places around the world and ironically the issue that he, they wanted him to take on uh, in the process is about the the dropout issue in their countries and uh, I said I you know uh, I I'm not an international person I don't know but there's some some common things but uh, he really Pushed me because uh, and he had read you know the last dropout and saw some of the organizing principles, but he said, "What if you're in a community that doesn't have the resources to coordinate and integrate?"
3: Hmm. And
2: I, I, said, "That's that's a big, big, big issue, and uh, and that's why we've had to look differently just in our own country of how you build these things in a rural community and how you build these things." In a big urban community, because the whole resource base is so different, mm-hmm. the, the rural's totally, commi- uh, almost totally committed either on the faith community, a few small businesses, but mostly the churches, and the state government. So anyhow,
3: uh,
2: I said all I I can tell you is that I, I gave a talk that I didn't want to talk uh, to some years ago because I felt. Uh, very insecure about speaking to an international conference, which was taking place in this country, and it was uh, sponsored by the International Youth Foundation, and I kept telling my friend, who I'd actually helped him put it together, but it had become really big, I said, I don't know what I have to say to him, uh, because my experience is so limited uh, to here. He said, just get up there. And and it was at that conference that the five Basics that became the centerpiece of communities and schools. That was what I spoke on. And I said, I don't know your systems. I don't know your environment. But I do know that every kid needs a personal relationship with a caring adult who is irrationally committed to them making it, that hope comes through somebody believing in you. And when somebody believes in you, you're going to live different if they don't. And they don't have hope they're going to do one of two things. They're going to hurt you, or they're going to hurt themselves. Mm. And I kept hurting some people, and Vinny was putting a needle in his arm. Mm. So it was the coming together of somebody believing in us. It was the transformational part in our lives to, to to want to make a difference. The second is, thing I spoke, and some of these people had to hear things in their head. I didn't know what they were hearing.
3: <laughs> but I said,
2: I also know that all my life I was looking for safety because I, there was so much violence and I, you know, if they would have analyzed it back then, I probably had double PTSD. It just, and I just felt there was no safe place. And so, we have safe place comes when we have a caring community. So I said along with. A personal relationship with a caring adult. They need to have a safe place to be in. Mm -hmm. And usually, what we start with, we start with the the cognitive. Let's what can we teach them, and what new technology can we get in their hands? It's the non-cognitive that are keeping them from learning. Mm. And so you have to break down those very just the basic food, clothing, shelter. You know the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Let's get the basics in place. So along with the caring. Then the third is they need a marketable skill. How can you, this is what we learned during that decade, how can you say you love somebody, get them off the streets, and you give them a place to live? How can you say you care about them, you get them on the straight and narrow, and they can't have no hope of a job or the future? And so I get angry, and I say, okay, I'm going to go and tear these people up Mm -hmm. because I don't have hope for a future. So we have to zero in on ways that we can get folks into where they can feed their families and have that substance to, to be able to have hope in a, in, a, in a job in today's 21st century. And then uh, if they have all that in there, they, we, we don't address their health uh, and we allow them to destroy their bodies because of consumption then we are saying we really care about them. And then the real transformational thing in all of us, the greatest gift you can give somebody is to allow them to give something to you. And once you digest this, I was asked in a hearing, what was the difference between the kids I've seen make it over all these years and the kids that didn't? And I was so angry because you have about two minutes to answer the question and all I could think about were the kids that lived with me that died that I had to speak at their funerals at 25 years old when I was 25. And that pain still is in me. I, went I, I, I got tongue-tied, and then I felt God just spoke to me. I said, the reason the kids that made it, made it, is we created an environment where everybody had a chance to give. We weren't there to change them, but to, to give them the gift of finding out what they have to give to us and that's why I'm so strong about the arts about athletics giving kids a chance to perform we Mm -hmm. we embrace that and allow them to give something to us otherwise it becomes so paternalistic and uh, we're going to help you and and we have not created an environment where we're all in this together I I don't know if that helps but that's kind of the and and what I I said, I've written a chapter on a thing called Magic Eyes. This is, I think God gives us magic eyes and ma- magic ears. We have to hear the pain and feel the tears, as Reed said. But then we have to see, uh, we we have to see where the life is and build on the life, not see on all pain and terrible and all the things that are wrong. But God gives us that, a set of eyes to see where, life is in the, the fan it mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, that village or that community comes alive and I know that's easier said than done particularly in places that are so devastated and have so little
1: well I think actually that's uh, as we're winding up our time bill that becomes uh, an elegant coda um, to what the podcast is all about um, you know city as playground which uh, the argument is always that there is a way of seeing the city uh, In terms of how God sees it and that it's a playground rather than a battleground and I think um, what you just described um, Is is a, a beautiful way of, of operationalizing that well. Let let me end with this bill. I uh, one of the Privileges of my life and, and you might laugh at this, but um, was uh, in the midst of all the speaking I've had to do and different things that I've, I've had a chance to uh, engage. Uh, about, oh, now three years ago, in 2012, I was given the uh, privilege of introducing you um, at a gathering in Pittsburgh uh, for the Leadership Foundations and our Leadership Council. And I remember uh, sitting there at my table, actually, next to you, and I think I uh, only had you know two and a half minutes to get up there and, and introduce Bill Milliken, but probably felt more nervous about that introduction than any um, sermon or lecture I have ever given. And I think part of my nervousness was uh, just how much you have meant to me, how much you have meant to the leadership foundations, um, and so wanting to do a good job of it. And I don't know if you recall, but uh, what what occurred to me was, um, I remember seeing a picture of you, and I'm trying to think of which book it was. Um, I'm assuming it was in one of your books, um, but it was you walking across uh, the Brooklyn Bridge with a basketball under your arm uh, with a friend. And that image to me uh, spoke volumes to to who Bill Milliken is, um, the idea being that, um, you have always been uh, a person, like you said in this podcast, that has always done things with people, uh, a community. Thus, your your partner. Uh, secondly, that that really the the essence of your work uh, is is building bridges. Um, it's it's taking one part of the city and connecting with another part of the city that wouldn't normally be connected. And the third is. What is represented in the basketball that was under your arm, um, a sense of playfulness that that you have this uh, intrinsic joy that I think uh, is is simply a gift from God um, so that uh, that was uh, the way I described you that night, and uh, bill you have have continued um, to demonstrate this uh, in so many ways uh, for so many people, but primarily. Uh, reminding, I think, the leadership foundations that it's all about uh, community and relationships. It's all about building bridges. And, you know, as you do all this, do it with a little bit of a sense of fun and joy. So um, I'm hoping that you remembered that introduction possibly. And, and is that picture, did I get it right, that it was the Brooklyn Bridge? And
2: Yeah, it's just embarrassing that you talked about the basketball since it was all because i i couldn't hardly dribble over my chin let alone the <laughs> basketball but they thought maybe i could do it until they saw me play with it but i i did like bo nixon said not only was he white but he couldn't shoot <laughs> <laughs> so i had a couple things going. but at least i tried and that's part of god's sense of humor that we jumped yeah. into the midst of turmoil and and i just i want to thank you dave and, and Leadership foundations. as Gene and I were talking my wife last night, that uh, I, I feel you're family to us, and you're our mm. spiritual base, and, mm. and uh, you're a gift and part of our healing and keep us in the battle,
3: mm.
2: uh, because uh, we need hope, and you all give me hope, by allowing me to be part of you.
1: Well, Bill, thank you so much. Both Rick and I have considered this a great joy, and uh, we look forward to many days in the future. Thanks so much, Bill.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Rick, and thanks, Dave, blessings. All right, blessings.
1: All right, goodbye. Uh, I think um, these men uh, and women who we will talk about in the future, um, presidents like Will McCall and others, um, we've had the great privilege of, of being in their company. But you know, the truth is, is when we show up to conferences or board meetings, it's not as though you sit down like we are on these City of Playground podcasts and talking like this, you you hear things. You maybe have a quick little soundbite conversation, but the opportunity, I think, to sit like we are to have an extended time, um, ask the questions that maybe uh, the coffee, you know, pot conversation would never allow you to ask. And then I think as importantly, Rick, um, to create uh, a sort of archive uh, of these voices that yeah. I'm hoping you know, that women and men right now um, really around this world who are thinking about cities, thinking about their own city and how they might engage it, um, how wonderful that they will be able to uh, go into our uh, podcast library and uh, download Ray or Will or uh, Reed or Bill and uh, say, oh, there it is. That, that's how you do it. So.
0: And I think one of the great gifts Bill gives us today in this podcast is just, uh, you know, coming from a place where he considers himself a, you know, a dropout or, a, you know, like he, mm-hmm. does, he doesn't have the education. He's like remarkably eloquent, mm. and, you know, and so wise. And I think there are, that kind of, in, in a lot of ways, would, would make us all pause and say, where have I discounted myself? Uh-huh. Because uh, it's in the very area that, that he felt like, you know, that's his weak point that's obviously become, you know, the, the whole legacy of his life uh-huh. is education. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think there's uh, there's uh, remarkable power in love and pain, and uh, and he, he really reminds us of that. So I would think that we should be encouraged, each one of us, and think about, you know, the things that we think maybe that, you know, boy, that God would never use that part of my life because I'm a failure there. And then... then get ready yeah or even maybe you could trace that as already having
1: happened yeah no i i I think uh i I think you said it beautifully and i wouldn't even have anything more to say other than it does remind you of the philippians 2 you know image um that uh, paul describes uh jesus you know having you know been know in likeness god and and deciding not to hold on to that, but descending you know and taking on the form of a human and it's the whole arc of uh dissension rather than ascension that I think oftentimes marks um you know really true authentic work, particularly in the city and bill in many ways is is the uh you know poster child for that i mean yeah. he Um, Some of it, I'm sure he would say, I didn't choose to descend. It it feels like maybe someone pushed me down, but nonetheless, um, he's a a man whose dissension uh, has worked for everybody, um, and uh, it's been a great gift.